Good morning, everyone. Thank you. I'm grateful to be here with you and to share God's word with you this morning. Now, if you remember, last Sunday, Pastor Denny led us through Habakkuk's second lament in chapter 1 as season 2, episode 1. Remember that? Yeah. And he presented Habakkuk's poignant questions such as, why do you look on the treacherous? And why are you silent when the wicked swallow those more righteous than they? That's from Habakkuk 1, 13. Habakkuk's lament in chapter 1, 12 through 19, was in direct response to God's first reply to Habakkuk's first lament that God would use Babylon to judge Judah. Wait, Babylon? Habakkuk retorts. Babylon is way worse than Judah. How can God allow such an evil adversary the freedom to wreak havoc against his own chosen people? As we wrestle with God like Habakkuk, Pastor Denny then exhorted us to stand and watch for God, to work for God's justice and righteousness. Indeed, that's what Habakkuk resolved to do in chapter 2, verse 1. Today, we now move to season 2, episode 2, to hear God's response to Habakkuk's second lament, which is the rest of the chapter 2. So please follow along as I read today's text. So Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 through 20. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so that a runner may read it. For there is still a vision for the appointed time. It speaks of the end and does not lie. If it seems to tarry, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. Look at the proud. Their spirit is not right in them but the righteous live by their faith. Moreover, wealth is treacherous. The arrogant do not endure. They open their throats wide as shield. Like death, they never have enough. They gather all nations for themselves and collect all peoples as their own. Shall not everyone taunt such a people and with mocking riddles say about them, Alas for you who heap up what is not your own. How long will you load yourselves with goods taken in pledge? Will not your own creditors suddenly rise and those who make you tremble wake up? Then you will be a booty for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all that survive of the people shall plunder you. Because of human bloodshed, and violence to the earth, to cities, and to all who live in them. Alas for you who get evil gain for your houses, setting your nest on high to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many people. You have forfeited your life. The very stones will cry out from the wall, and the plaster will respond from the woodwork. 
Alas for you who build a town by bloodshed and found the city on iniquity. Is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor only to feed the flames and nations weary themselves for nothing? But the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as waters cover the sea. Alas for you who make your neighbors drink, pouring out your wrath until they are drunk in order to gaze upon their nakedness. You will be sated with contempt instead of glory. Drink, you yourself, and stagger. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and shame will come upon your glory. For the violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you. The destruction of the animals will terrify you because of human bloodshed and violence to the earth to cities and all who live in them. What use is an idol once its maker has shaped it, a cast image, a teacher of lies? For its maker trusts in what has been made, though the product is only an idol that cannot speak. Alas for you who say to the wood, wake up, to silent stone, rouse yourself. Can it teach? See, it is gold and silver-plated, and there is no breath in it at all. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. The word of the Lord. In this chapter, God answered Habakkuk. Again, this time... God commanded the prophet to write down the vision and to make the message plain on tablets so that even a runner could read it. Verse 2. Yet the vision, God says, was for the appointed time in verse 3. Habakkuk was to write down the vision as a testimony to God's action, but this action of God was to be fulfilled not in Habakkuk's time, but in a future time, the end. Habakkuk wanted his answer immediately. He wanted God to punish the Babylonians and put an end to evil and oppression right then. But God said that God had appointed a time for all that had to happen, but it might not happen soon. God's envisioned kingdom for his earth surely comes, and it will not be late. But it seems slow, and Habakkuk must wait for it. Such is the word Habakkuk faithfully passes on to all of us, who, like Habakkuk himself, are living between the times, between the promise and the fulfillment. Then God reveals the content of his vision itself in verses 4 and 5. God's vision has two parts. On the one hand, the wicked are puffed with pride and they will fall. That's the first part of verse 4. 
and verse, can you all see, is that verse 4? Okay, yeah, I can't quite see actually there. So. so that's the first part of verse 4 and verse 5. Babylonians who make their own might their God and who rely on their merciless plunder to provide for them with good life will indeed perish. However, this word given to the prophet goes far beyond that historical reference. As one commentator notes, wherever human beings rely on something of this earth, whether it be intellectual achievement or wealth, or military might, or aesthetic ability and appreciation, or pride, or birth and status, or even the ability to solve problems and master the complexities of modern life. Wherever confidence is placed in human prowess and not in God for the achievement of a satisfying and secure manner of living, there is no true life. We see such distortions of God's gift of life in a thousand manifestations in our broken human relationships and the poisons of our festering hatreds, in our crippled efforts to achieve security and the shadow of destruction that hunts us, in our despoiling of the beauty of the earth and of the loveliness of human society, and in our proud boasts of self-sufficiency uh, which are always undermined in our, uh, always undermined by our anxieties and fears and loneliness, etc. So on our own, our lives are indeed not upright, as verse 4 says. That is, our lives are crooked, bent, and distorted, and only lead us to downhill. That was the first part of God's vision, the doom of the arrogant wicked. The second part of God's vision then turns to a positive description of the righteous who live by their faith. That's the second part of verse 4. In Habakkuk's description of the righteous, in Habakkuk's context, the righteous are the very ones who are courageous enough to trust in God and live faithfully before God in a world dominated by horrors of Babylonian power. Then, what is that faith the righteous live by? In this context of verses 2 through 5, faith means, first of all, being faithful to God rather than relying on a specific timeline. Temptation seduces believers when they begin to rely on God's schedule for security and hope rather than God himself. One can easily think of those who claim the date of Christ's return or in our own thinking, 
we can create a, some sort of an urgency of date and are mistaken as though that's actually God's own schedule. The desire for the knowledge of God's timelines may expose a deep idolatry, however. We want to know so that we have power to control our time. Such control makes us masters of the universe, even in the midst of impending trouble, and it decenters God from his rightful throne. But God's insistence at leaving the timeline unclear places God at the center. In Habakkuk 2, 2 to 3, reminds us that God is always the treasure amid the darkness and uncertainty of life. His time for salvation will surely come. But in the meantime, we are called to live in faithfulness before the Lord of time. Second, the faith that righteous live by also means faithfulness to God in terms of trust, dependence, and clinging to God. It means placing one's whole life in God's hands and trusting him to fulfill God's promise despite all outward and inward circumstances. This call for faithfulness is also what we read in Romans 1.17 and Hebrews 10.38 when they quote Habakkuk. Romans 1.17 says, For in the righteousness of God is revealed through faith for faith. As it is written, the one who is righteous will live by faith. Hebrews 10, 37 to 38 says, In a very little while, the one who is coming will be coming and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. God is worthy of trust, belief, and obedience in the face of all obstacles precisely because of God's extraordinary faithfulness to us, both in guaranteeing God's vision in Habakkuk and also in guaranteeing Christ the Lord and his return in the New Testament from the perspective of Romans and Hebrews. So, faith as placing our faith in God's faithfulness exhibits the fitting or righteous behavior of the believer. So far, we've looked at only the verses through 2 through 5. Then how do the verses 6 through 12 and the 6 through 20, excuse me, relate to the verses 2 through 5? Verses 6 through 20 contain five woes. In our translation, the word woe to you is translated as alas. These five woes illustrate then the truth of God's vision in verses 4 and 5. Look at the proud. Their spirit is not right in them, but the righteous live by faith. Wealth is treacherous. The arrogant do not endure. The proud ultimately will fall under the weight of their own sin. 
but the righteous will live by faithfulness to God. The five woes are indeed from God, but the nations the Babylonians have captured in their nets of destruction now mock the wicked invaders. These woes are ironic lament for the destruction of not only the Babylonians, but those also any people or nations who oppose and who oppress others. The first woe in verses 6 through 8 is the doom of the extortioners who appropriate for themselves that which belongs to another. The Babylonian seized the pledges of its victims and either kept the pledges or made the victims pay what they did not owe. Business and commerce always can be manipulated to gain unfair advantage. Habakkuk's message concerning modern commerce seems clear. Do not make your wealth or your living by unjust practices. Practice the business of just weights and just measures. Work to make an honest living without destroying, uh, destroying the, uh, the livelihood of others. What Babylon has done to others, others would, would do to Babylon. People and nations will reap what they sow. In verse 8. The second woe in verses 9 through 11 is the doom of the greedy and arrogant who build their fortunes and power structures on unjust gain, thinking that the acquisition of profits will provide security from all harm. They build their nest on some high, secluded spot, guarded by every security device available. But in a stunning image, Habakkuk says, the stone in the walls of the house and the wood in the beams will cry out against them. The third woe in verses 12 through 14 is the centerpiece that contains a promise. It concerns the exhaustion of bloodshed, but also the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. God has a greater plan for the earth than the violence it presently suffers. God stands against anyone who builds legacies by sin and bloodshed, the violence. In verse 12, it specifically speaks of Babylon. But again, the, spoke, uh, the principle may be universally applied because the same words of judgment are elsewhere spoken against Jerusalem, Nineveh, and others. The righteous who live by faith then trust in the promise that one day as the waters cover the sea, the glory of Yahweh will fill the earth. As Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 3 calls us to remember God's glory known in the past, it says, His glory covered the heavens and His praise filled the earth. So to live by faith 
is to live by the memory and promise of God's glory on earth, here and now. The fourth woe in verses 15 through 17 is the doom of those who glory in exposing, that is, dominating and shaming others, they themselves will be exposed by the non-human creation. The violence done to trees, animals, lands, and people is the weight of their crime. Lebanon is naked of trees, the cities are naked of people, and the land is naked of animals. The image of a drunken exposure shows the perversion in the Babylonian mind. Their practice of making their victims drunk in order to strip them is a symbol for violence done to the land. When the Babylonians look for a covering for their own nakedness, they will find only the memory of the violence they have done to Lebanon. The violence done to the earth is a recurring biblical theme that has taken a new significance in our day. Pollutions of lakes and streams and rivers by profit-taking industries or even by ordinary citizens like us may be an obvious example of a judgment that comes back around. God's intense love for God's entire creation causes great anger when the creation is abused and violated. Those who live by faith then care for the non-human creation as co-creatures created by God. They will care for it and take hope in God's promise to renew the face of the earth in the new creation. Finally, the fifth woe in verses 18 through 20 is the doom of those who trust lifeless idols. The prophet asks, what use is an idol? It has no power, it is human made. Idols are instruments of lies and deception. Idolatry remains a problem for humanity, let's admit it. In the late second, seventh century in BCE, Judah, in Judah, idolatry was a threat internal to God's people as well as external to God's people as our woe in Habakkuk suggests. The Apostle Paul identifies the sin of idolatry as endemic to human heart in Romans 1 we are remain reminded that the challenge of cultural idolatry persists in the present as well. From the overt idolatry of worshiping one's retirement plan or savings account as a source of security in life, to a, the subtle seduction of relying on our abilities without reference to God. Every time we are proud of our own achievements without noticing their source, Every time we take for granted, take credit without thanksgiving, and every time we gain wealth by taking advantage of others. This woe 
is to remind everyone who achieves something in life to continue to live by faith and not to enter the woes of the puffed-up life. In verse 20, in contrast to the idol which sits where it is put without the ability to hear or to respond, the Lord responds, the Lord resides in his almighty power in his holy temple, ready to respond to the needs of his people. The proper response to such a God who is enthroned above the cherubim is awed silence. This last verse of this chapter serves as a fitting conclusion to the final woe, as well as a conclusion to the entire series of woes. Likewise, it points back to Habakkuk, making demands of God, asking questions of God, and retreating to his watchtower to wait for God's answers, impatient with God's silence. Now the prophet hushes himself and all the world willing to let God act in God's time and willing to wait for God to administer just judgment when God chooses. It is this final verse of the chapter that points us, the readers, to the holy God enthroned in God's holy temple, and it prepares us for the prayer of Habakkuk in chapter 3. In closing... The answer to our perplexities about the ambiguities of human history and human life is the word of God. God's promise that God rules in every age, even now, even as Russia continues to invade Ukraine, non-provoked, and evil, however long it takes, receives its just due. That is the illuminating word to which we are to cling. And it is the promise that can instill in us a quiet resolve and confidence as we continue to struggle with injustice and wickedness. But it is a promissory note that can be comprehended only by faith, and we are called to this very faith in this Lent as we live between the times of promise and fulfillment. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.